Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the You Don't Live in Cleveland edition. As we get you set for the next to last game of the year between the 6 and 8 Bengals and the 6, 7, and 1 Browns in Cleveland's First Energy Stadium. Coming up, my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to discuss anything and everything Bengals related, including the team's biggest needs going forward and an offensive lineman's explanation for why Christian Westerman isn't playing. We'll hear what Drake Kirkpatrick had to say when asked the following question. What does Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield do best? His answer made me laugh. Perhaps you will too. In this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the lowdown on the Browns from one of my favorite broadcasters in the league, Cleveland's excitable Jim Donovan. And last but not least, we'll talk to one of the best national reporters covering the NFL, Alex Marvez from Sirius XM NFL Radio. We'll discuss the Bengals' coaching situation, and Alex will share his pick for who the Bengals should hire if they elect to make a coaching change at the end of the year. Emphasis on if. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since the hang-on-the-door basketball hoop. I think I got my unofficial start as a play-by-play announcer describing the make-believe basketball games I played in my childhood bedroom on one of those clip-on-the-top-of-the-door basketball hoops. Many years later, I hear my 12-year-old son doing the same thing, and one of the items on his Christmas list this year is a version of one of those hoops with what looks like a glass backboard. I hope Santa brings him one. Let's get to football. After snapping a five-game losing streak by beating the Oakland Raiders last week, the Bengals will look for their second straight win against the no longer pitiful Cleveland Browns. Browns fans have suffered through 10 straight losing seasons, winning five or fewer games in nine of those 10 years. But Cleveland already has six victories this season, including a 35-20 win over the Bengals just four weeks ago. The Browns have a great young nucleus, led by the number one pick in the draft each of the last two years, pass rusher Miles Garrett and quarterback Baker Mayfield. But what about the Bengals' nucleus? Is it good enough to compete for a title in the AFC North next year? That's where I begin this week's conversation with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. The Bengals have officially been eliminated from the playoffs. Their win last week hurt their draft position. They dropped from 11th to 13th. Here's my question, Lap. How good is the roster for whomever is coaching this team next year? I think it's good. You know, I'm going to go by what my sources that I trust around the league that I talked to uh, before the season, everybody's saying, boy, our coaching staff feels like we might have 40 players. They feel like you guys have 47 our coaches might feel like we have 45. They feel like you guys have 50. So, I mean, I, I think the the players, the the roster depth and the roster talent is good, is good. What, what did people think about Chicago before they made the coaching change? What did people think out in L.A. with the Rams before they made the coaching change? Basically, same players. You're going to change some. There's going to be another draft, another free agency. But I think the core – of this football team, when healthy, the biggest problem this year is it's been decimated by injury. When healthy, pretty good core. 
Lap, give me their three biggest needs going forward. Offensive line talent needs to be improved. I think, uh, honestly, Frank Pollock (laughs) maximized the talent. He did. They played as well as they can play, and I that's a tribute to him. Um, for them still to be averaging, you know, they're in the top ten in, in sacks allowed going into this Cleveland game and uh, sacks per pass attempt allowed going into this Cleveland game. Pretty darn good. And they're averaging 4.6 a rush, still 12th in the NFL. So their efficiency, they're playing well. The sum total of their parts is better than any guy by far, and that's coaching. So they do need to upgrade the talent there. They need to upgrade the talent at linebacker. There's no question about that. In today's NFL, linebacker's level is being attacked, and it's being attacked, you know, multiple ways. And uh, the Bengals right now are are hurting in that category, being able to uh, hold up in that end of it. Uh, Those those are two big ones. And I guess if I had uh, another druther, again, this is all based on who comes back healthy and who doesn't. I wouldn't mind seeing another big body defensive tackle in there as well in the rotation, just another guy to, to add to the mix. You know, Ryan Glasgow was playing well. You know, he went down. Tupo was starting to show that he could play. He went down. So, I, like I said, with injuries, may not be as big a need. But, you know, I think that their pass rush would look a lot different if Carl Lawson were playing. You know, I think, uh, I think a lot of things would look a lot different if all their players were playing. But during the course of the season, those are the three areas in my mind that I would, I would really target. Two weeks ago, Christian Westerman played 42 snaps against the Chargers and was clearly pushing people around in the running game. Last week, not a single snap against Oakland. Explain why. You, you, great phraseology, pushing people around in the running game. I mean, he and Billy Price had some legendary double team blocks. I mean, they were knocking defensive linemen back five yards. You couldn't even fall down. I mean, he was, he was pushed back so quickly, couldn't even fall on the ground. That's only one part of the game. And, and Westerman is as good as there is, in my mind, in almost anybody's guard play in terms of guy on him, boom, knocking him off the football, <clears throat> driving him down the field. They play him goal line defense because he's a load. You can't move him. He moves people. He moves people against their will. He doesn't let them move him. That's Christian Westerman. The problem is they move. <laughs> Guys will move around. Guys will slant, twist, stunt. And that's not his strength is picking up that movement. I mean, he's great with, you know, something right in front of him, and he knows he has to go destroy that, seek and destroy it. Boom, I'm going to get that. But there's a lot more to it, and that's, that's where he struggles a little bit. Same in pass protection, you know, like a guy that's a, a quick interior defensive tackle that's got, you know, a quick rim, rip, quick swim, quick whatever. You can't bull rush him. Anybody that tries to bull rush him, shame on you. You're not going to move the guy an inch. So, to me, the fact that he's there – other defensive linemen when he's active to be in the goal line defense tells me exactly what his strengths are and then of course his weaknesses are that that you know the movement stuff plus the other part of it is you have to be really up to speed mentally on the Simons if you're blocking a guy five yards down the field but it's the wrong guy and the guy you're supposed to be blocking is involved making a play because your teammates couldn't adjust quickly enough you know that hurts you Um, and really in, in the next two games Cleveland and Pittsburgh they run million fronts the biggest thing that you have to have is a guy like Clint Bowling who's seen it before can recognize can communi- communicate it to other teammates 
Cordy Glenn, a new you know new guy in, to the franchise at left tackle, Westerman at, at left guard, and Billy Price at center on the road against those two defenses. Crowd noise, going to have bowling in there to kind of you know be a traffic cop. That's that's the, that's the big thing right there. You know what it sounded like to me? It sounded like you were describing a baseball player that couldn't hit a curve. Yeah, one trick pony. You know, it's like you know you have to you have to be able to do uh, a lot of things. That's I know I know that's what put me to the shot putting the discus. I got my first good Uncle Charlie, that old deucer. Woo! <laughs> Baby, I could turn a fastball, but, man, once they started that old uh, knee bender, it's like, uh-oh, throw the shot put, throw the discus, let's go. <laughs> Jeff Driscoll got his first win as a starting quarterback last week, but he also had his worst game, at least statistically, completing just 42% of his throws with a passer rating of 513 Was it Oakland's defense or just a lousy day for a young quarterback making his third NFL start? You know, I, I think it's always a combination of, of both a little bit, but I think I think it might have been, you know, a bad day, an off day for Jeff. I think the worst thing that could have happened to him was turning it over on that very first deep ball attempt um, because you don't have a whole lot of history. You don't have a whole lot of snaps. And, you know, it, you're a human being. It's like, oh, man, that was a shot. I, I, had a, I had an opportunity there. He just didn't see that safety. He tried to lead John Ross to the middle of the field more and didn't see that safety coming over and underthrew it as well. Um, so that one, you know, you have to bounce back from. I do think, though, and I asked him about this because teammates mentioned this to me after the game, that, you know, during the week of practice, he was struggling with a right shoulder injury. He got blasted in that, in that uh, football game against the Chargers. He got hit really – he got stung pretty well. And obviously, you know, his answer to me was exactly what I expect from a pro like him. I was able to practice. I was able to play. No, it wasn't a problem. I've been hitting the shoulders and even blocking people. It's like when you normally you just can extend and really jam in, in free movement. But when you have a little bit of a shoulder problem, it feels like there's sand in the joint. You know, it's just that little grinding sensation, that little like, ugh, it's just not right. And it was a throwing shoulder. So, you know, now all of a sudden when you're ripping it, it just doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel right. And I'm not saying that that was the reason that he was high and incomplete on a lot of his throws. Might have been a little bit of a factor, though. So... I'm hoping maybe with another week under his belt of healing and all that, he'll, he'll throw the ball a little bit better because I, I've been impressed with his accuracy overall. Uh, you know, hopefully that was just, you know, an outlier. And, and maybe, you know, there were multiple reasons, maybe just a little bit off physically. Uh, you know, he just wasn't accurate. They, every quarterback has games like that. Maybe a little bit about what Paul Gunther was doing, but hopefully the accuracy is back because Greg Williams, this week up in Cleveland, he's going to see things he hasn't seen before. And, you know, the biggest challenge for him this week is being mentally sharp. Physically sharp will help, obviously, but, man, he's got to see it before it happens, really. Lap four weeks ago, the Browns beat the Bengals 35-20 to at Paul Brown Stadium, and it really wasn't that close. It was 28 nothing Cleveland in the second quarter before the Browns got conservative on offense and tried to run out the clock instead of run up the score. How do the Bengals give the Browns a game or even pull off the upset this Sunday? Well, two things that Cleveland did in that first game was did not allow a quarterback sack and had no turnovers. When you, when you go post a goose egg in both of those uh, departments, you have a chance to, to win big, and they did. I also think, Dan, the defense is much different than the one the Cleveland Browns saw in that encounter because they just the, – the New Orleans game was atrocious, and they fired their defensive coordinator, but it had been building. They go to Baltimore – a very unusual, it's a college-type offense. 
Um, they're playing cover two against a quarterback that's running it down their throat with a running back. Didn't make quick enough adjustment. Why are you playing cover two against that kind of an offense? It was just it, it wasn't a good fit, and they were highly criticized for it. So the next game was Cleveland, and I think that they were staggered. You know, they were taking a ten count, standing ten count. Now they've put together some pretty good, a lot better defensive performances. I think they're feeling much better about themselves defensively in terms of players and confidence in what the coach is presenting and simplification of their assignments and rules. So I think they'll see a different Cincinnati Bengal defense than they saw when they came out and went four wide receivers. And the Bengals were like, acted like they'd never seen four wides before. Everybody in the league runs four wide receivers. And, I mean, they did. They went through them like a hot knife through butter. I remember one drive was 12 or 13 plays, 96 yards. Come on now. It was ridiculous. Every, every drive, they had one short field, like for 51-yard touchdown, one for 96, and everything in between. So I think, I think they'll see a different defensive performance. Hopefully the Bengals will build off that uh, pass rush they were generating. But this offensive line is, uh, is light years better than what the Oakland Raiders presented. The Raiders – didn't even have their starters in there. They had two replacement guards. I mean, it was it was pedestrian. And uh, Geno Atkins had a fourth quarter for the ages, three quarterback sacks and nine snaps. That's ridiculous. After winning one game over the last two years combined, the Browns could finish with a winning record this year if they beat the Bengals this week and then win in Baltimore next week. Are the Browns a Super Bowl contender as soon as next year? I'll pump the brakes on that. I'll give them playoff contender for sure because they're contending now. You know, with two weeks left in the season, they aren't eliminated. Um, they've lasted longer than the Bengals have in that process of elimination. So, obviously, they're on the rise. And they have a quarterback. Um, I thought their roster was pretty good the last couple of years. They just didn't have a quarterback. I mean, it was a, it was a joke. How they, It wasn't just musical chairs. It, it was a merry-go-round that was, you know, going at uh, overdrive. It was, it was ridiculous at the quarterback position. Now they got one, and amazing how it makes everybody else around that quarterback better, and the players he lifts the boat. I mean, Baker Mayfield's lifted everybody else's performances, and, and that's what it's all about. So um, I think they, they've tasted the sweet nectar of victory more times, obviously, this year than they have in the past few recently. But I think they have to experience making the playoffs first. I think it's very tough after what they went through, and if they don't qualify the playoffs this year, which is probably going to happen, it'll happen after Sunday when the Bengals spank them and make restitution <laughs> for the game down here in Cincinnati. But, you know, they, they, they've taken another step. I think another, the next step would be qualify for the playoffs, and then uh, very rarely after what they went through, the first time you qualify the playoffs, you make the run to the final. Thanks, Lap. Baker Mayfield was extremely impressive in his first start against the Bengals, going 17 for 22 for 245 yards and three touchdowns. In the first half, after building a 28-0 lead, Mayfield only attempted four passes in the second half, and one of them was his fourth touchdown. This week, Bengals cornerback Drake Kirkpatrick was asked what Mayfield does best. Talk. <laughs> no, he, he's, he's cool. You know, um, I like to see that out of a young guy, man. Uh, he definitely gets in guys' heads. Uh, and, you know, that's you know, that's what this game was about. You know, everybody is so strict with the rules and stuff like that. But this is a competitive game, you know. Um, and it is the, you know, it's a competitive nature to, to, you know, just to be aggressive and things like that. So, um 
you know, he does a lot of good things, getting out of pocket. You know, he's short, so he's not uh, going to make the best throws in the pocket. So um, we know we, we know what we got to do. It's all about us going out there and doing it. You guys were able to be playoff spoilers in the last two weeks last year. Is that a motivating thing at all this year? No, I hate that. I, that it gets on my nerves. You know, I hate being spoilers or dispoilers of that. No, I want to make the playoffs, and we didn't make it this year. And, you know, that's something that I got to go home with another year without going to the playoffs. So um, that's what it's about for me. I don't care about spoiling nobody, nothing. I don't care about getting wings or none of that. It don't mean none to me, nothing, and that don't help me pay my bills. So winning does. So that's what I want to do. I want to win and get to the playoffs. The mention of wings was a reference to last season when the Buffalo Bills sent the Bengals 120 dozen chicken wings as a thank you for beating Baltimore in the final game of the season to help Buffalo make the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. And even if Dre doesn't want them, I'm hoping that the Bengals beat Pittsburgh in the final game of the season to help Baltimore make the playoffs and that the Ravens send a truckload of crab cakes to Paul Brown Stadium as a thank you. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment as we take a closer look at the upcoming opponent. And this week, our expert is the longtime radio voice of the Cleveland Browns, Jim Donovan, who joined Lap and Me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. We've had you on the show in the past when the Browns were awful, and I always complimented you for never losing your enthusiasm. I've said many times, if I ever teach a course on broadcasting, you are going to be my guest to talk about how to handle a team that is struggling. But now that the Browns are really playing well, how much fun are you having? Dan, I got to tell you, it's a lot of fun, and it and it still is. It's it's new for us. So even when you say uh, setting up the game on Sunday, the six, seven, and one Cleveland Browns, I kind of flinch a little bit uh, <laughs> because it's been so long since we've uh, had that kind of win total at this point in the season. But it's been a lot of fun. It really has. Uh, everybody's having a lot of fun. Um, you know, people are, you know, can't wait till Sunday now. Uh, to get down to the stadium to see them play, to see Baker Mayfield play at quarterback. So there are a lot of things going in the right direction right now for them, and it's good to see. Question. You've been around the uh, Browns organization a long time, been around the game of football for a long time, and been in, uh, had a relationship with many, many players. Baker Mayfield is a natural-born leader. Is there anybody in your past that you've dealt with that is similar in terms of the leadership and what they've done for their football team than Baker Mayfield? Well, I think the, uh, you know, Dave, the, um, and, and you're right, he really is. A, it's amazing to see how quickly uh, everybody gravitated to him, and it wasn't, uh, you know, there, there was nothing fake about it. I mean, it was very right. natural, and people follow him, and, uh, and, and he's so new to the league, and he's so young to the position, at least at the NFL level. It's been amazing to watch. Um, you know, I go back to when Kozar really had, uh, you know, was running the Browns situation, but it was kind of different because I'm sure you remember, I mean, Bernie had Gary Danielson that yep. kind of led yep. him into the league at that time. But once uh, Bernie got into, um, when he finally played in his first year, late in the year, and they made the run to the playoffs and they had Mack and Biner, you know, really was the staple of their offense that year. Bernie spoke out after uh, they lost the playoff game down in Miami and said, hey, listen, the offense here is archaic. We have to learn to throw the ball. And, and two weeks next, uh, the next two weeks, they had Lindy and Foddy came in to run the offense as the offensive coordinator, and, and everything kind of took off. But I would compare it to uh, the way Kozar came in and people 
also wanted to have a quarterback that, uh, you know, kind of took the Browns by the reins and led them. And, and I kind of compare what Mayfield's doing. I think, though, Baker's got a lot more kind of natural athletic ability than Bernie did. Uh, sure, but sure. I, but, I, but the leadership skills are kind of the same. We are talking to the radio voice of the Cleveland Browns, Jim Donovan. I want to talk about Freddie Kitchens, the offensive coordinator for the Browns after they uh, fired Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. Every time I watch the Browns, I'm like, wow, that's creative. Where'd they come up with that? Have the Browns, I mean, he'd never been an offensive coordinator before. Have the Browns stumbled into, like, the, the next great offensive mind in the NFL? Well, I don't know, Dan. That's a really good question because when you ask Freddie Kitchens about it, Freddie Kitchens was brought here by Todd Haley uh, to run that offense, and uh, and he's a he really is a believer in the offense that Todd Haley was bringing to the Browns. And so I was I kind of wonder the same thing that you're saying is, you know, did he put his own thumbprint on this once he took over, or was this just an evolution thing that maybe if Todd Haley had uh, continued on week by week, we would have seen this thing grow. But it's been instantaneous since he came in. Now, he's been very open-minded with the players. I mean, he kind of welcomes, you know, it's not like he has a formal suggestion box in front of his front uh, door of his (laughs) office, but he does go to them, and I know he goes to Mayfield, and that's the relationship that that has really clicked, and you can see it, uh, that they have a lot of fun with each other. And, uh, you know, he says, hey, listen, I go to Baker and say, hey, what do you want to do? What do you what do you like here? And it's not just Mayfield. It might be Landry or it's uh, or it's Nick Chubb. What kind of runs do you like? Uh, I think there's been kind of an open forum. And I can imagine that that's a little bit more of Freddie than it would have been Todd Haley. Just knowing a little bit about Todd Haley uh, through his short stay here and his long stay in Pittsburgh and in other spots. But. Yeah, you know, there's a real dilemma right now. We are always worrying about something in Cleveland, okay? Even when the Browns are starting to win, now we're worried about, hey, what do we do with Freddie Kitchens? What do you do with this head coaching situation here? You know, the interim situation of both Kitchens and and even above him in in Greg Williams. And, you know, what, what do you do now? These guys are winning. Do you go out and bring new people in? And if you bring new people in, do you try and marry Kitchens and Williams into their staff? Uh, so it's you know that is probably for the next couple of weeks after these next two games. But boy, Freddie's done a great job, and the offense uh, looks you know I, I, you know explosive, and and they've never looked that way in a long time. Well, they came out in a four receiver set uh, down here in Cincinnati, and the Bengals acted like they'd never seen one before, and right. <laughs> went up twenty eight nothing quickly. I mean, they hadn't shown that look uh, very much, and they came out and caught the Bengals with their pants down on that bad boy. John Dorsey, John Dorsey. Uh, is is going to be the guy making some of those decisions you're talking about. And this guy is a blue-collar, you know, Green Bay, Ron Wolf disciple. Yeah. Rebuild the sleeping giant was his motto, his mantra. And how about his first draft? Baker Mayfield, uh, Denzel Ward's a little nicked up right now. And Nick Chubb, how do you like me so far? I mean, not bad, huh? Yeah, I, I mean, as good a draft as I've ever seen them have. Uh, and, and that goes even, you know, old Browns, new Browns. Uh, you know, and, and the new Browns since 99, Dave, I mean, they've had amazing, you know, amazingly high draft choices that have just bombed out. And so, I mean, he really hit it out of the park here. He really did. I mean, their, their draft is coming up big. I think you're going to see Ward play on Sunday. Uh, he's back in there after having a concussion and being out the last couple of weeks. But I think right. he's going to play this Sunday. But, I mean, you know, he's a terrific player. 
Nick Chubb has just been, I mean, sensational, and they made the right move, it looks like. You know, Dorsey was very frustrated that they were, uh, you know, that they were using Carlos Hyde so much and that they weren't using Chubb. He was only getting a couple of carries a game, and so he moved Hyde and is in the trade and then put, uh, you know, that elevated Chubb, and Chubb's been sensational. He really has. I mean, he's a blend of power, and yet he's got very, very breakaway speed in the middle of runs i mean he can just run away from people uh the only pick that right now is a question mark is the and and this would really make it a boffo draft is if this kid austin corbett who they took out of nevada yep uh, if he can come in and get a spot on the offensive line because he was the first pick in the second round he was 33rd overall and and the offensive line just hasn't been able to accept him yet he is projected down the road when everything kind of plays itself out maybe as early as next year that he would be their next center and uh, that they were trying to get him ready to play center. But that's the only pick right now that has not really, you know, been a big, big, uh, you know, been a big hit, but up at the top, it's been great. And Mayfield, John was, uh, John Dorsey was totally committed to Mayfield. Even when he was unemployed after he had left Kansas city, he said, boy, I, I mean, I'm really fixated on this kid. And, and it's been a, it's been a, just a franchise changer for them. He knew what he was talking about there. Chubb made as good a catch on that touchdown catch against the Bengals as I've seen. I mean, to you know, control the ball on the helmet and press. Oh, that was a hell of a play by that kid. Yeah, it was David Tyree like, wasn't it? A little. It was. Bit it was. It yeah, was. I don't think that they knew Dave that he was, um, you know, as adept catching the ball out of the backfield as he has been. But he's been very, very good at that. And you know, he's uh, he's totally different than Mayfield. Mayfield is, uh, you know, he's he's a talker. Chubb is not a talker. He he lets the talking go on on the field. They, they're a good blend. They're roommates on the road. They were roommates hmm. at training camp, and uh, it's night and day, their personalities. A hmm. couple more questions for the voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan. As we mentioned at the top, Cleveland is 6-7-1, and one, still mathematically alive for the playoffs, but it would take a miracle uh, to get in. But as you go back and look at the course of the season, week one had a field goal to beat the Steelers, blocked, finishing the top. Yeah. Week two against the Saints, two missed field goals, two missed PATs, or you would have won in New Orleans. A couple weeks after that against the Raiders, Oakland gets a touchdown and a two-point conversion with 30 seconds to go to force OT and wins the game in overtime. The Browns probably should be 9-6. and And in first place, I mean, is there an an element of, man, this is good, 6-7-1 is a, a big improvement, but we should be making playoff plans. Yeah, I, I, you're, you know, you're right. I mean, I wince as you detail those weeks. You're right. Um, you know, yes, there's no doubt about it. You look back on it right now, and at least in those first couple of weeks, I mean, um, and, you know, and it was it was really kind of a, uh, the line by Hugh Jackson that he had to say all too many times was, I mean, we just don't know how to finish. And that happened in the Steeler game and, and definitely down in New Orleans. I mean, they played, when you look at what New Orleans, has done this year, and especially in the Superdome. Right. I mean, and the way the Browns played, I mean, and and believe me, it was legit. They had played very well, and defensively, they were magnificent. They really had Drew Brees guessing that day. Uh, And to let that one off the hook. And then the one in Oakland, I mean, that was not only the the touchdown, the two-point conversion, but they had a 14-point lead, you know, at the start of the fourth quarter going into that game on the road with Mayfield really, you know, in his first real start. In the NFL, uh, yeah, you you look at that, and I have to be honest. There's another game too, Tampa Bay. They 
they kind of let one get away in overtime there. They came up with an interception on the Buccaneers side of the field in overtime that they just needed one first down. They get a field goal, try and win that game. So, you know, it, I think it's all a process. And, um, you know, I think that I, I think a lot of people around here, though, right now need to just take a deep breath, enjoy the ride. It's been amazing after going, you know, 1-15, 0-16 in the last two years. And I think that uh, the next big thing now will be to make this thing continue to roll the right way. There'll be a lot expected of them now next year. They, they won't be a surprise to anybody. And, and the improvement is going to have to continue for them because there's still a lot of work to do. The Browns do a really fun thing with Jim Donovan. They have a camera on him in the booth, I think at all times, and will often tweet out video of him calling big plays so that you can see just how excited he gets. He is a fantastic broadcaster. Last but not least, we also had the opportunity this week to visit with Sirius XM NFL radio host Alex Marvez. Alex, how are you? I'm doing better than the Bengals, I think. Uh, <laughs> you got like, like the Raiders win. I mean, listen, that's encouraging and, and stop some of the bleeding for right now. But, guys, disappointing season, unfortunate, especially after such a good start. We go limping into the new year with the same questions as we did at the end of 2017. What direction is this franchise headed? Who will be the head coach next season? Yeah, that's obviously the big elephant in the room. You know, you're right. I mean, the Bengals are 4-1, and one, a minute and 15 seconds away from going – Five and one, two and zero in the division, in control of everything, and have spiraled to this situation. And uh, you know, injuries are always a. Uh, uh, people think, oh, that's an excuse. Uh, they're a fact. There are reasons, but it's not just all injuries. There's there's a bunch of things. The the thing to me is how poorly the defense played for such a prolonged period of time. <laughs> if anybody told me that the Bengals defense was going to be this horrific. Before the season started in training camp, I would have said, uh, what are you smoking? Right, exactly. I mean, and, and that's the thing that's so mystifying that Terrell Austin, despite his departure in Detroit, you know, you chalked that one up to, hey, new administration's coming in. Matt Patricia is a defensive-oriented head coach. He's going to be the one who is, you know, handling that part of everything, right? So you understand if he moves on from Terrell Austin. So, okay, we, we roll on from there. But then, you know, you just get some, some things, just the, the bleeding against New Orleans and, you know, just some things that, that you scratch your head. Again, I get it with the injury part, especially at the linebacker position, losing Nick Vigil was a big deal but you know what teams adjust there's a look look at the washington redskins right now they just want to yeah. game with josh johnson as right. their quarterback are you kidding nobody cares how you win just win and unfortunately this bengals team never came up with answers and while the defense is doing a little bit better now too little too late and look the bengals put themselves a little bit in this position as well you know why are you sticking with vontez perfect i mean i get it and, and i've talked to marvin lewis about this and i'm sure he's answered the, the question the same way to folks because you know vontez knows this defense there's an intensity i mean the guy's a tail kicker right i mean and he adds a ferocity to this defense i get it but if you can't count on the guy whether it's because of injuries or whether it's because he does himself in you know you know in terms of his behavior on the field well what are we doing here you know and, and it's just sort of the same old same old and it gets a little bit tired after a while unfortunately and listen it breaks my heart to say all this quite honestly because as you know i have such an affinity for this organization the people on top all the way down but man you know look if you know at some point you got to ask yourself enough enough yeah the best ability is availability and he had not been available. <laughs> Alex Marvez is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez, M-A-R-V-E-Z. While you were on the Bengals beat, Alex, you developed a great relationship with Mike Brown. Would you be surprised if he retained Marvin Lewis again, or 
replaced him with Hugh Jackson? Um, neither. You know, but the question is, who's calling the shots in the organization? Is Mike going to pass the torch to Katie Blackburn and Troy Blackburn? Are they going to be the ones making decisions moving ahead, and do they share Mike Brown's vision? You know, that, that's a fair question to ask because I really believe that, you know, Mike, Hugh Jackson's retention after last season was based upon Mike Brown wanting that familiarity. And, you know, when, when I saw earlier this season that, that Katie and Troy, you know, were like sort of designated to speak to the media instead of Mike, you know, about the direction of the franchise and some other things, it makes me, it makes me wonder, is Mike going to be stepping away from the day-to-day operations of this team? Uh, you know, and, and will he just, you know, is that baton going to be passed to Katie and Troy? And, of course, Mike would still be around, but Mike would acquiesce to how they want to run the franchise. And I think so much of it is that. Listen, Mike is in his early 80s right now. Does he really want to learn a new coach? Probably not. That's why you have that Hugh Jackson factor. And if there's any place that Hugh Jackson, the one place I would say that Hugh Jackson could potentially get a job again would be with the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, the one thing, too, with the Bengals, it doesn't seem like they really care too much about public response. I mean, that's been Mike Brown's, you know, modus operandi operandi ever since, you know, the early 1990s when he took control of the team following the passing of his father, Paul. I mean, you know, you think about it, they, you know, and, and listen, the fact that they're drawing, what, 48,000 fans a game, I mean, that's, you know, pretty horrific by NFL standards. It's one of the worst attendance figures. It, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make Mike, it doesn't influence him. You know, he's going to do what he thinks is best to win games the way that he thinks that these games can be won. So, you know, putting Hugh Jackson in while, you know, everyone around the NFL would roll their eyes, you know, for the Bengals, this may make sense because of his relationship with Mike and maybe they feel that Hugh in this environment where he'd probably have a little bit of a bigger say in personnel than what he had with the Browns where he was clearly, you know, clashing with Sashi Brown on the group that was running things there. I mean, look, and I don't even want to talk about John Dorsey because by that point, you know, we, we knew that the clock was ticking on Hugh and it was going to take a, almost a miracle, you know, for this Browns team to keep him in 20, 2019. But that being said, you know, can Hugh Jackson in an environment where he's saying, okay, this, these are the things I want personnel-wise, let's get them done. Can he win? Maybe it's something that, that Mike Brown considers because Marvin Lewis does have significant input in the personnel decisions based on this team, but is Hugh Jackson really, after three, 36, and one, in the way that the Browns have responded following his dismissal. Is this the right direction for the Cincinnati Bengals? I'm not so sure about that. My guy, by the way, who I really think the Bengals should hire if they make a coaching move, and I'm not advocating that they do, but if they do, if you don't get Mike Munchak on that first interview, I tell you, I think you're making a big mistake. I, I think d- Mike Munchak could work within the framework of this team. You wouldn't have to worry about the offensive line anymore. It would become a strength rather than what's obviously become a weakness for this team. There would be a certain type of mental toughness that comes with this group, and I think that Mike Munchak would be an unbelievable hire for the Bengals. And I'm just going on record as saying that. Not saying it's going to happen, not pushing for it. I'm just saying that I think Mike Munchak would be unbelievable in that job. Alex Marvez, I didn't know that Dave Lapham could still do a cartwheel <laughs> until you said that. Yeah. Look, 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 we, 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 this has been discussed with Dan and I, and, and do multiple things. Weaken the Pittsburgh Steelers because that offensive line has become dominant since he's been there. He's the best line coach in the, in the league. It would weaken them. The only thing, the only fly in the ointment is he's, you know, 60-ish, and they want the young, offensive-minded, you know, they, they want to find the next McVay. They want to find the next guy. Everybody does. 
Th- th- I guess that would be the only fly in the ointment. But here, here's but, but, my I mean, t- Mike Munchak, But Mike Munchak thinks young. That's the thing, too. If, if you've, been, you've been around, Mike, and I think anyone yeah. that – listen, we've seen Bruce Arians. If that were the case, the Arizona Cardinals would have never had that run of success. I mean, people looking for the next great offensive mind, I mean, are really going to be disappointed this year. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, sure. Because there just isn't that guy out there right now. There isn't that Sean McVay that's turning heads. You know, everyone was pumping up John Filippo. He's got his buddies in the media. You know, and by the way, when you listen to a lot of this stuff, please so does you. <laughs> of a lot of this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, it's media, quote, insiders that have friends, have relations with agents, and they start to promote sure. guys like a John Filippo. Well, what was John Filippo in, in Minnesota? It was awful. Okay, it was just terrible. I mean, I think that, you know, and, and listen, I'm not saying that there haven't been new ideas in Cincinnati. Bill Lazor had a different way of doing things. Clearly, Terrell Austin tried and failed. But when it comes to age, Mike Munchak is still a very young guy. He looks fantastic. I don't think Mike Munchak looks any different from 10, 12 years ago. If you put up a mugshot of him to where he is today, he's full of energy. He's full of enthusiasm. And listen, he would have been the coach of the Arizona Cardinals last year had he not had a family situation come up that where he just thought, I cannot leave the Pittsburgh area but i do think he'll be a head coach again and when he does i really hope that the cincinnati bengals if they make a move would strongly consider hiring him and you know fans are going to be like oh what did he do in tennessee well what did belichick's do in cleveland and to me and here's my take on mike brown right now like you said he's in his 80s mike brown had an issue uh and was called sam white great success but volatility and it was peaks and valleys in terms of huge mood swings volatility and all that and it ended poorly did you get fired did you did you quit and and then the league had to you know the league had to determine what went on there and, and go through this whole process. Mike Brown does not want to deal with anybody that has volatility. That's why Marvin Lewis is so even keel. He's not too high with the highs, not too low with the lows. He and Mike Brown have become like like family. It is. And they meet every morning, and, and he is totally comfortable with Marvin Lewis. I think that Marvin Lewis almost is going to have to say to Mike, you know what, Mike, I'm done. I don't want to yeah. do it anymore. I, I honestly believe it because Mike Brown is so so comfortable with the fact that he will never have to worry about Marvin Lewis doing what Sam did to him or anybody that has that type of volatility. And that's what he's looking for is somebody that and, – and after Sam, think about it. He, he brought in Dave Shula. He brought in, you know, these guys, Bruce Costell, these guys that he knew that he had familiarity with. And, and that's why, you know, you think, boy, Marvin might be back, Hugh Jackson – uh, you know, what if Mike Zimmer, it, it, it ends in Minnesota, uh, which you, you think, well, how, why and how could that happen? But all those people that Mike Brown has familiarity with and has a comfort of dealing with, those people are all candidates. Anybody that is not in that arena, if Mike's still making the call. And here's the other question. When is it time to name Duke Tobin GM? You know, they do not, they do not want to have a general manager. Duke Tobin is basically general manager without title. But do you let Duke Tobin do the coaching search. You know, I mean, do you, do you really shake things up? Do you do that? All these are interesting uh, dynamics as, as the next 10 days unfold here. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fascinating. I don't see the Bengals going that radical as far as that goes. And you're right. Listen, I think, too, there was a a thinking with Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown that let's give this two years to get this together. And I understand it's been reported that there's an option year in Marvin's contract, but Mike could very easily pick up that option. There's a buyout. It's a a buyout. There's a buyout for Marvin's. uh, He could buy him out of the last year. 
Yeah, I mean, you think Mike's going to be buying out more? I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he's. It's not the full. It's not the full salary. There's, you know, there's buyout less, lesser amount, right? Right, and also Marvin may have an offset where if he went on to another team and had another position, that that team would start picking up his salary, and the Bengals would have to pay less. I, I, you know, listen, if Mike gave Marvin another shot and said, "I get it," you know, look, you added some real good things. We have some real good young players here. I think that you're the right guy for us. Let's give it one more try. While Bengals fans don't want to hear what I'm saying, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think that maybe it was even a two-year commitment that Mike gave Marvin, like, look, I'm going to be doing this for two more years, you may be doing this for two more years, and then we're done. Let's see what we can get done over the next two years. This is year one of that. If that was indeed the program when Marvin Lewis was given that extension, then year two, same as it ever was. Marvin Lewis is back, and you just hope for better things on the defensive side of the football. You hope for better health, and you just hope that a winning culture can be reestablished. Well, you are on record with the following. If the Bengals make a change, they should consider Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line coach Mike Munchak. Makes sense. Makes yeah, sense. And by the way, different deal in Tennessee. I just want to point out real quick, you're talking about an owner who was really on his last legs and Bud Adams, and you know, he's, I know he's passed. I'm not speaking ill of the dead, but he wasn't even around the franchise. I mean, there was no guidance, no leadership in Tennessee, and Mike was forced to basically almost, you know, it was like the, the team president would fly in once a week. From Houston, because that's yeah. where Bud Adams kept everything. Right. Very different organization now. And look, guys, like you mentioned with Belichick, we can go Tom Coughlin. I mean, how many two-time failures? Pete Carroll, you know, yep. uh, you know, three times as an NFL head coach, finally got it right in Seattle. Guys grow, and I think that Mike Munchak, Mike Munchak has experienced tremendous personal growth. And listen, he knows this division as well. It's not like you need him to reinvent the wheel and learn a bunch of new guys. He knows how, where to, you know, how to beat the Steelers. He knows how to beat the Ravens. He knows how to beat the Browns, which, by the way, is not going to be easy in years to come. Our thanks to Alex Marvez, and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback is always appreciated, and so are five-star ratings. They help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks so much for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.